You know, it's going to be about the footsteps of Jesus and following in the footsteps of Jesus. And really, I could take credit for being the teacher, but truly the teacher is going to be the Apostle Peter. And uh, the Apostle Peter wrote his letter somewhere around 64 or 65 A.D., First and Second Peter. Peter was killed during one of the purgings of Nero. But about 30 years before his death, he wrote the letter, as I said, First and Second Peter. We're going to go back and rewind just a little bit in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 18 and 19. Verse 18 says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. You know, life is full of words that you can couple together. Okay, two words, uh, and, and they can stand alone, but they mean another thing totally different when you put them together, such as, hi there, all right, or stand up, sit down, come here, get out, good grief, forward march, get up. Does anybody else have a, uh, two words that they can put together that I didn't mention? Shut up. Did I hear somebody say that? No. Okay. Okay. All right. But the words followed me revolutionized Simon Peter's life. It's a command. Follow me. It's a call to action. It's a call to submission. And it's a call to service. A state leader was asked when he was out of office for a little while. He said, you're the governor and you led the people of our state. What's it now like to be kind of in the middle? And he answered, everyone follows someone. We follow different people in different seasons of our life. We follow people for different reasons. But the call of Jesus, follow me, is an eternal call. It's a little different than just a regular call. It's an internal call. And scripture says that they immediately left their nets and followed him. After following three, three years, this happened. Jesus is executed by the state. He rises three days later. He hangs out with the 11 guys that are left for a little while, for about six weeks. And remember, Judas kills himself. He, Jesus talks to them about this kingdom rule. It was a new radical way of seeing people, uh, of seeing eternity and, and their view of God. Then he leaves. He ascends into heaven. He goes to the Father. And Peter and his friends are left after following Jesus for three years. These two books are what Peter views what he has learned while following Jesus. Peter's first 30 years, he was a fisherman. He fished on a big lake in a little Middle Eastern country. Every day, he got up early in his life, probably for those first 30 years or so, to go fishing. And when you read his books, he wrote 35 years later, and you ask yourself, how did he come up with that? This guy's just a fisherman. Well, there's things about a fisherman, I believe, and a farmer. Men who spend a lot of time alone. There's a different kind of wisdom that these kind of men attain. It's not book education. It's life education. And life education 
with the anointing of the Holy Spirit coupled with the driving force behind the writings of Peter. Peter gives his wisdom to you straight from the hip. 1 Peter 1 and 2 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be obedient. And that word obedient is used in the Old Testament and New Testament in a Hebrew word that means to hear. In other words, it's suggesting in order to be obedient, you have to be able to hear. To Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, number one, when we respond to the call of Jesus, we discover that we are chosen. Peter's writings, he's writing to the ones that are called the scattered ones. These are Jews living in Gentile lands scattered throughout the Mediterranean. He calls them the selected ones, the elect. They are strangers in this world, but they are chosen by God. Sometimes in our lives, in terms of being followers of Jesus, sometimes if we're following him and trying to do his footsteps, it doesn't seem like we fit so well into our culture and into our society. If we find ourselves, this is what C.S. Lewis says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We're aliens. We're a part of a different kingdom. Is it any wonder maybe we don't feel like we always fit? 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Have you ever thought about going up to somebody who doesn't know anything about spirituality and whatnot and say, I am a member of a royal priesthood, a holy nation? You begin to figure out that you don't fit into his world system very well. He's thinking you're out of your mind. But we know and we understand it. Have you ever been to another country? You've been to another country, and you walk into that country for the first time. You don't speak the language. You don't know the streets. The people seem different. I remember traveling to Guadalajara, Mexico. And, and we're down there, and we're building a church in Guadalajara. And uh, we've taken a medical team. We've got doctors. And uh, uh, we're taking medicines through customs. And we quickly realize that we're in a different country. We don't speak the language. We've got all these medicines. They're questioning what they are. We've already had them approved. Everything's supposed to be okay. And we're trying to force them. And uh, instead of pushing them through because they were there to help their people and all that kind of thing, they want dinero, you know. And they realize we don't have a lot of dinero and so they finally let us go through after some haggling and things, and we finally found a friendly face. But we realized we're not in America anymore. Different faces, different streets. We get in our van that's taking us to where we're going to go do ministry. Even the check-in in the hotel and those things was somewhat different than what we're used to. But that's how people feel sometimes as Christians in this world. We're aliens. We're a little different. 
Scripture says that we're a peculiar people. But you know something? You may feel different in this world as an alien of this land, but know this. You are chosen by the Most High God to follow Him. Number two, we are set apart for a purpose, okay? Now, Peter starts talking about holiness here. 1 Peter 1.16 says, For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but he was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and the enduring word of God. When Peter was talking about the lamb and the sacrifice, it'd be good for us to remember that he is writing to Jews. They fully understand the sacrificial system and what he was talking about. The purpose of following Jesus, though, is this, to be holy. Some of us are going, oh, no, except for Gary. He understands, oh, no, he's going to talk about being holy. Not that word. And the reason we feel that way is because holiness is usually associated with things that are imposed on you. Religious folks who come along and they add things on, you know, You're holy if you don't do this and this and this and this. The problem with adding things is that people add different things in different parts of the country or the world. I've lived in Dallas, and 15 miles away, their standards of holiness were different than they were over in Mesquite, Texas. It was just a strange thing. You don't really know how to be holy because their standard is different than the one that I'm used to in my little sect of religion. You see, laws can be imposed, but holiness cannot be imposed. Holiness is not so much what you don't do, but it's about what you do. Holiness comes from the inside out. You know, we live in a culture where almost anything goes. As long as you're not hurting anybody else, they say, well, that's, that's okay, all right? But in our world, we have a created order. And if I were to walk over to the edge of this platform and I were to jump off, you would anticipate that I would not float in the air and go to the ceiling, would you? I'd go to the ground because of Newton's law of gravity, right? I'd just go to the ground. I get that. I had that happen to me one time when I was putting up Christmas lights. Putting up Christmas lights and I've got my eight-foot ladder in the flower bed and it's, you know, pretty soft from the compost and things that were there in that flower bed and I climb to the top and I'm hanging them up and I feel the ladder kind of leaning to one side, you know, because the legs are going down in that soft ground. I'm thinking, well, I can counterbalance a little bit here and I'll get everything steady and everything was steady for a while but it kept going and going and I finally had only so much weight to counterbalance and so much bendability to my body to be able to do it. And here I go. So 
I went from trying to balance the ladder to self-preservation real quick. How am I going to minimize the damage? So my mind goes, okay, stop yourself, bend your knees, and roll. You know, so I, I do that, and uh, I roll three or four times, and I'm laying in the middle of my front yard hoping none of the, nobody saw, and, and I, I, I'm doing inventory. Okay, my ankles are okay. Knees are okay. Everything's okay. So I, I got up real slowly just to make sure that I didn't injure myself, okay? But that's a great law, this law of gravity, okay? It brings things down that are supposed to go down. It keeps us here on the earth according to our weights. We're not floating around like a balloon everywhere, okay? But there's those kind of laws, okay? And in society, we have laws, and we've got stru structures. In our city, we have building codes, and I, I'm glad we've got the building codes because I want to know that I can walk over to the light switch, and I can touch that light switch and turn on the lights, and I won't be electrocuted in all probability. All right, I, I like it most of the time when we have speed limits. But there are those times that I don't care for it much, especially when I see the bubblegum machine in my rearview mirror. Oh, yes, I've been stopped. Don't look that holy, okay, because you have to. I remember one morning I'm heading to church, heading out, and, and everything has gone that wrong that morning. I mean, one of the pipes broke under the, the sink, and water went everywhere. The kids were crying, and they were upset, and those kinds of things. And I'm, I'm just, my nerves are frazzled. But I'm, I load up everybody. We head out, and I'm speeding to get there because I'm running late. And I look up, policeman in the rearview mirror. He walks up to the window. There's a window down up over here. Looks over there. He's very polite. He says, sir, do you realize you are exceeding the speed limit by about 15 miles an hour in that 30-mile-an-hour uh, speed zone? I said, uh, yeah, I did. I, I'm late. I've got a, somewhere I have to be. And I said, everything went wrong this morning. I said, my, my kids are crying. The pipe burst, on and on and on. And he leaned in and he said, you know, that used to happen to me before I got saved. And I thought, I'm not going to tell him where I'm going. So, anyway, but most of the time I'm happy about the codes of the law, you know, and those kinds. We don't go outside of our house and go into the gutter and drink the filthy water, do we? All right? Because our water systems come out of a tap, and those that water that comes out of the tap has been regulated by rules of water purification. What if in the National Football League there were different rules when you went from Houston to Dallas to New York City and you didn't know what their rules were? Why not have rules for my interior life? Why not have rules for me that govern me? Why, do I, why don't I obey them, obey them? Because I don't have to. I can't change the city law. I can't change the laws uh, of the universe. But people look at themselves and go, well, I know there are laws for my spirit, but I can change those. I don't have to live by them because the person that's watching those usually doesn't interfere. Peter says, choose rightly. Why? 
Why do you choose rightly? Because he's called you to follow him. He's called you to follow him because you have been chosen. Number three, we follow through trust. You've been rescued so you can hear better, so you can be obedient. 1 Peter 3 and 7, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice through now for a little while. You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. There was a missionary by the name of James Elliott. He was a missionary back in the 1950s in Africa. He was speared to death by a native tribe there. And sometime later, he went. his wife went back to the same area and ministered to those same people in Africa. And she had a great influence leading several of those people to Christ and discipling them. But when she grew old, she came back to the United States of America and she was teaching as a guest in a Bible college. She was asked what the key to following Christ was in a question and answer session. And she looked at them kind of strangely and she said, trust. What else is there? She was asked to apply this to life and she said, when I was in Africa, then I would traverse through the jungles with people who were familiar with the lands and there were deep chasms there and you could only ford them by a thin, narrow log that was laid across them and it was scary. And when they were crossing, those natives there, they would look at her and they could see the terror in her eyes. She was frightened and those leaders that were helping her out told her, all you need to do is look at the back of my head and follow. Trust. Trust. We trust our Lord. We just follow him. Number four, we learn his voice, and that's how we learn to follow. Have you noticed the phenomenon how a mom can hear the cry of her own child wherever she is? No matter how noisy, no matter how loud, no matter how many voices, no matter how many other babies are crying, she can recognize the cry of her own child. Have you also noticed that that same mom, while her child is crying, can walk in and begin to speak, and immediately the child will calm because she recognizes the voice of her mother. We can learn his voice. When we learn his voice, we can hear his voice. We can listen and we can be calmed, and I will assure you, he knows your voice. And then number five, he calls us by name. Isn't it great when somebody remembers your name? You meet them, and then maybe a month later they come up to you, and they just call your name. It just makes you feel good that you were so important to them that they took time to remember your name. I had a lady that used to help me in the youth group down in Dallas, Texas, and, and uh, Joyce, 
can't remember her last name. But she used to be a uh, public relations director for the Dallas Cowboys. And, and I confessed to her one day. I said, you know, I said, I'm having a terrible time with names. And she said, you know what? I know why. And she was very enthusiastic and wanted to tell me. So I said, yeah, sure. And she goes, the reason you don't remember their name is because they're not important to you. Made me mad at first. Then I had to think about it. But she was right. Don't do much better now. But I tried to. And the older I'm getting, it's harder. So forgive me. Okay. But he knows your name. Bob Teal. Do you, do you know Bob Teal, the evangelist? He's probably dead now. Bob Teal's got a photographic memory. 20 years after I met him, hadn't seen him since that time. I met him at a church meeting, walked in, and he shook my hand and said, Scott Olson, how are you doing? I said, you have a phenomenal memory. And he said, well, it's a gift. Pastor Dwayne Brogdon was at that same meeting, and he walks up to Bob Teal, and he said, Bob, tell me my phone number. And Bob gave him his phone number back off the top of his head. Sees him maybe once every two or three years, whatever. Never forget that. But it's wonderful. He calls us by name. He knows your name. He calls you to follow him. You remember when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb? She didn't find the body, but she heard his voice. And guess what he did? He called her by name. Mary. I wonder how she felt when she heard that familiar voice calling her by name. I wonder how Peter felt when Jesus was saying, yeah, I know, they call you Simon, they call you weird, they call you strange, impetuous, whatever, okay? He said, but I'm going to call you rock. I'm the rock. He called me the rock. He knows my name. Number six, we're not just called to follow and I love this, we're called to finish. Not just called to follow, we are called to finish. 1 Peter 1 and 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. You know, there's nothing like finishing. I mean, it just feels good to finish. I don't know if care if it's working on your car, right, Jim, you know? Finishing a job out there, Peter, this. You know, nothing like finishing and looking back and job well done, you know, those kind of things. And, you know, uh, nothing like finishing, running a race, any other thing. But can you imagine what it's going to be like when we finish our life's race? Over the last two weeks, my friend Mike Pritchard that I mentioned, Yesterday I found out that a lady that was in my Sunday school class in Dallas, my age, Brenda Pruitt, and a member of my Sunday school class, and she was a member of my Sunday school class in Dallas, and then a little girl, little blonde girl that sang in our youth choir when I was a teenager by the name of Samantha Bates. They all finished their race over the last two weeks, their race of life. And I wonder what it was like people that I know, people that you would expect to have lived on beyond these years, long ways. I wonder what it was like for them to hear their name 
called in the heavens. And this is how they knew that they had finished. They heard the words, well done. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over these few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the rest of the Lord. That's what we're all living for, to finish this race of life and what a joyous experience it's going to be when Jesus speaks our name and says, well done, you're finished. Would you stand, please?